Hello and thank you for inviting me back to Lincoln Baptist Church. It's a pleasure to be able to be with you this morning, albeit online. I would love to be with you guys in person, uh, but it's a pleasure just to be able to bring God's Word uh, this morning to you. We're going to be back in your studies in Mark's Gospel, but first of all I just want to uh, bring greetings from New Tribes Mission uh, to you all there. Uh, we are so grateful for our partnership in the Gospel uh, with you all there at Lincoln. Uh, we're so thankful for the way that you care for our students and for our staff. We thank you for the way that you loan out Ross now and then to come and teach in our Bible school. And uh, we are so grateful uh, that you are part of our work here in your prayers and in your support. Thank you so much for that. Also greetings from Grimsby Baptist Church where I'm also on the leadership uh, there. Uh, we, we are so glad that there are other churches that are like-minded who believe in God's word and want to share uh, the gospel in their community. Uh, so greetings from GBC as well. I'd like us then to turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 41b and uh, finish in verse 52. It's, it's, it's a heavy uh, passage of scripture, very difficult uh, reading in many ways. It's hard to know what, what joy is going to come out of it. Uh, but these are really important verses. This is the lead up uh, to Good Friday. We've taken a break, as it were, over the Easter period, but we're going back. We're going back to where uh, we left it, back to the Garden of Gethsemane at the foot of the Mount of Olives. Uh, you will remember uh, from the last time that we were there, uh, you will remember that your pastor shared with you that, that uh, Jesus had found his disciples sleeping on three occasions. Now Jesus had commanded them to watch and to pray, uh, to, to set, as, as he said, a circle of prayer and protection. And yet three times the disciples had failed. Three times uh, they had fallen asleep. And if you remember, the title of the sermon was Wake Up. And there was a challenge for us to wake up. It was a challenge for the church to wake up. Do you remember what he said? He said, Satan is at war with the church and we have been found asleep. Those were strong words, weren't they? But it's true. And so we come back after the Easter break uh, to come back to this passage here in Mark chapter 14 and verses 41b uh, to, to 52 says there, Jesus says, it is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. 
Jesus says here, my hour has come. And he proceeds to prophesy exactly what was about to happen. What does he say here? The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus was about to enter the darkest periods of human history and was about to place himself in the hands of sinful man to be betrayed, to be arrested, to be forsaken, to be tried, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be spat upon and eventually to be, be taken to the cross and to be crucified there, the most cruelest death that man could have devised. He stepped out at this point on the road of suffering in full knowledge of all of that, all that was about to take place. He knew full well how he would be treated. He knew how well, full well that exactly where this road would lead him. And even before the gates of the garden were rattled, before the lights of the mob's torches would be seen, Jesus knew his betrayer was at hand. That the journey the cross was about to the cross was about to begin. He had prophesied this hour earlier in the evening at the Passover meal. In verse 18, you will remember, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Matthew 14, verse 18 tells us that he even spoke to Jesus, answering his question about who would betray. It says there, Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. Jesus knew who was going to betray him, how it was going to happen. He knew it all. Jesus had spoken of it way back in John chapter 6, verses 70 to 71. Jesus answered them there. He said, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve who was going to betray him. Jesus knew. Having that knowledge, he could have run away at any point. As that, that band of men were coming towards him with the clubs and swords, he could have run. Having that knowledge, he could have called down an army from heaven. He could have brought down an army of angels to destroy that band of robbers. He had the power to do anything he wanted to prevent this hour of torment. Yet Jesus, yet Jesus chose to enter into this dark hour. My hour has come, he says. Truly it was his hour, for he remained utterly in control of the situation. Does it not thrill your heart that all that was about to place was according to God's great plan of salvation? God was utterly in control. All that was about to take place he knew would happen, and he consciously makes a decision to step out towards, not away from, his betrayer in order to begin the road to Calvary. I just want some units that make you want to say, Hallelujah, what a saviour. Remember that old hymn? He did it for me. He did it for you. Verse 43 says, And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And it's interesting to note that Judas knew exactly uh, where to find Jesus. There was no great search all over town. Possibly he may have checked back at the upper room where they had been, but, but perhaps 
more likely he, he would have known exactly where Jesus would have gone after uh, the, the time of, of, of eating. We know from Luke's account that before before Jesus that was taken before Jesus arrived at Gethsemane. It says this here in Luke 22 verse 39. And he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. This was a place that Jesus would have regularly gone to. He would have gone there for solitude, for prayer, to get away from the crowds. To find some time uh, just with him and the disciples. He needed those times and Judas would have gone with him. Judas would have seen all of this. He would have experienced all this and he would have known exactly uh, where Jesus was on this night. And sadly, he leaves this band, this mob of guards, these soldiers, these, these, these uh, men from the, from, from the temple, carrying their swords, carrying their clubs right to Jesus. So I want to ask a question now, who was this Judas? Who was it? Well, it seems he is one of those characters that even many non-Christians uh, know about. They're familiar with the name. I've been to a lot of football matches in my time. I support uh, for my sins, Southampton. And I've been to matches where uh, they're playing another team. And on that other team, there's an ex-Southampton player. And he has gone to that team. Maybe it's Manchester United, that horrible club. And all the Saints supporters, the Southampton supporters, what do they sing? Traitor, traitor, Judas, Judas. They're calling him Judas because he's gone from one football team to another. His loyalty has gone from Southampton and he has turned to another club for the riches uh, that they would give him. And so they shout Judas, yes. The name is familiar. You know, in society, people will lash out at, and call someone Judas if they feel betrayed. You know, his name throughout history has been synonymous uh, with betrayal. And I don't think any of you perhaps would call a child uh, Judas. That's not what you would name your baby, at least I, I would hope not. If sorry, if you have, I don't want to offend. The Gospel writers quickly single him out as the betrayer. If you go back to the beginning of Christ's ministry and the appointment of the 12 uh, disciples in Mark chapter 3 verse 19, you will see his name at the very end of the list. And I think that is purposely so. He's at the end of the list and it says there, Judas Iscariot with the added note, who betrayed him? Who betrayed him? Singled him out as a betrayer. We know too of Judas that he had a real love for money. We read in John's Gospel for, uh, that these verses that show us exactly where Judas' heart was. Uh, these verses follow uh, Mary's act of love in pouring out her expensive oil and anointing uh, Jesus' feet. It says there, chap John chapter 12, verses 4 to 6, But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? It seems such a noble protest, doesn't it? After all, what a waste of money. It could be fed to the hungry. It could have helped the homeless. It could have gone to all kinds of, uh, of charitable causes. But no, it had been poured out on Jesus' feet. But it's interesting to note the passage goes on what was going on in Judas's heart. 
He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. This love of money, uh, this love of money had turned him into a common criminal. Uh, it turned into him into a thief. He was stealing from his own friends. Clearly he loved money for far more than Jesus. Uh, for he would go on to sell him to, 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 for the price of 30 pieces of silver. Selling Jesus like a slave. You know, perhaps Paul and, had Judas in mind when he tells Timothy this. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Isn't that true? What a warning it is to us as well. Never place material wealth and gain above Jesus Christ. Not in any aspect of your life. Don't let money become your idol. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14 verse 33, So therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be, uh, be my disciple. You know, Judas here does the polar opposite, doesn't he? He was busy selfishly accumulating more and more for himself. And we know money. In the King James Version, it's described as filthy lucre. Money corrupts. So many in our capitalist society have succumbed to the love of money. Now, we need money to survive. I'm not saying money in itself is wrong. But the love of money, that making it an idol of our lives, it's the, the, the need to accumulate more and more in our greed, that is just wrong. We're reminded of the songs that we hear, don't we? Money, 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 or money makes the world go round. That is our culture in so many ways. Let us never be the rich fool who gathers more and more until eventually we die and pass without it into eternity. Why waste your life on riches? Judas was greedy for riches. However, it was not just money uh, that Judas uh, that led Judas to be the betrayer. We know that he was also in league with the devil. In fact, what does Jesus say and describe him as in John chapter 6, verse 70? Did you hear it earlier? Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And these are strong words and harsh words from, from our Saviour who always spoke in truth and meant what he said. John goes on to tell us in John 13, verse 2, that the devil had been put into the heart of Jesus, Judas to betray him. Luke also mentions it. it. says there, Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. Luke 22, verse 3. We must have no doubt that although we have already established God was ultimately in control of this dark hour, that we know that this whole episode had been prophesied as a fulfilment of, of prophecy, yet the devil himself was at work through Judas in this, this terrible betrayal. Yes, it was all in God's plan, but this did not, and none of this took God by surprise. Yet at the same time, Satan himself was at work. Somehow, as he did with, with Job in the Old Testament, he allowed Satan to go about his business. 
That is a difficult one to get your head around, isn't it? How God allows the devil a moment like this. Judas Iscariot, Jesus declares back in verse 21, would have been better never to have been born. That's quite the statement, isn't it? Better to have never been born than to allow such an evil to take over his life. Such evil that eventually we find in Matthew 27 verse 5 that it would lead him to take his own life. Terribly sad, isn't it? What does it say there? And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. What a sad end to a very sad life. This was Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, the traitor. And so in our passage, he enters the garden with his band of men brandishing swords and clubs to arrest the innocent Lord Jesus Christ. Judas, who would have once heard, heard Jesus say these words, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Judas, who would have remembered Jesus' command in the Sermon of the Mount, Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This was Jesus' attitude to violence. Judas, who would have witnessed that, that, that throughout his, his time with Jesus, that he had never lifted a finger in violence towards his enemies. Yet he felt it necessary to bring a band of men armed with weapons, swords and clubs, uh, to arrest the very Prince of Peace. Of course, if Jesus Christ had chosen to fight those clubs and, and swords, would have been utterly useless, wouldn't they? They, they, would have been, they? they couldn't have even used them should Jesus say a word. One word from him and the, the mob itself would be, would be finished. We said before, didn't we, that at any moment Jesus could call down a, a legion of angels and the, the battle would be over. He, it would be all done and Jesus would go free. Yet for now, it would seem that Jesus and his followers must have felt that they were the ones in control that they had all the power, and that Jesus was simply there for the taking. So next we see the awful way in which Judas betrays Jesus. Verses 44 to 45. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. King James Version puts Judas's greeting here as Master, Master, or Rabbi, Rabbi. You know, at first glance it would seem he was addressing Jesus in the correct manner, showing him some respect, following up with the customary uh, disciple's kiss. But all of this was a graphic illustration of the hypocrisy that Judas had been living all this time during the ministry of Christ, all this time that he had been with him as a so-called uh, disciple. He had been living the lie. He had been living as an imposter amongst them. Here for the final time, at his darkest moment, he would show nothing but contempt for the one he had been following all of this time by turning the kiss of loyalty to a kiss of betrayal. This was the sign that they would, they would know to, to go and to seize Jesus. This was the way that Judas 
decided that he would betray him. We have to say at this point it was remarkable that, that Judas had lived undercover, as it were, amongst the twelve for so long. Hiding his true colours, concealing the true darkness of his heart. He must have been a great actor and practised very much so in the art of deceit. Of course, Jesus always knew he was never fooled. He, yet he tolerated him. He knew he had a part to play in the great salvation plan. He always knew who Judas was, but he allowed him uh, to still be part of the group. Of course, even in the church today, there are those who are not all that they pretend to be. Those who, for their own motives, pretend to be part of the flock, yet in reality, they are but wolves in sheep's clothing. We must be so careful, for they would seek to betray, to divide, to cause trouble in the church. This is why it's so important to know and to live by God's word. It will enable us to see through their disguises, to pick up when, when people are departing from the truth. And it will enable us not to be led astray by them. You know, Paul warned his friends, the Ephesian elders, of, of such people as he says goodbye to them in Acts chapter 20. He says this to them, to warn them. He says, Acts 20, verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You know, nothing has changed today. And we must equally be warned of such people. Guard against those who would pull us away from the truth of God's word. To lead us astray from the good shepherd. No church is safe from such people. All remain vulnerable. And we must be on our lookout, on our guard. And so the betrayer gives the saviour away with the sign of the kiss. The kiss of betrayal. And this was the sign for the guards to move. What does it say there? Verse 46. And they laid hands on him and seized him. Captured by sinful men. They had him in their grasp. The irony of it. The, the Messiah who, who was just about to, to bring freedom to the whole world. The offer of freedom to anyone that would take it. For if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. This Messiah, Jesus Christ, was now bound by those, bound by those who he would be offering freedom to. This was all too much for one disciple who was standing by. What does it say there, verse 47? But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the priest of the high priest and, and cut off his ear. We know, of course, from the Gospel of John that this was Peter that drew his sword and that that it was Malchus uh, was the name of the serpent, ser servant who had lost his ear. It was his right ear, as, uh, in fact, as, as Dr. Luke says. Of course, Dr. Luke was a physician, and he was interested in that, and he, he said that Jesus even healed uh, that ear. But this typically impetuous reaction uh, of Peter was, was the wrong thing to do. Yes, we would understand Peter's desire to to defend the one he loved and served for so long. But violence was never going to be the answer. Jesus was to go as a lamb to the slaughter. 
There was to be no fight at this point. The true battle, the spiritual battle was yet to come and that would occur upon the cross. There was to be no more violence in the garden that night. Despite the clubs, despite the, the swords, all of those things, there was to be no more violence. Jesus would hand himself over willingly and peacefully. Verse 48, and Jesus said to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Jesus is basically saying, you've had all this time, all this time to capture me. You could have arrested me in the temple. But he could see into their hearts. He knew their fear. He knew their cowardice. He knew that they had to do this in darkness. They had to do it away from the crowds. Do it away from those multitudes on the hillsides. Away from the temple courts. Away from trouble. They had to do it in secret. They had to do it by stealth away from prying eyes. This was a cowardly way to arrest the Lord Jesus. They were addressing a truly innocent man as a common thief. And then once again, the Saviour reminds us and reassures us as we read that he is in control. He tells them, but let the scripture, scriptures be fulfilled. All that had been prophesied hundreds of years before must be fulfilled according to God's perfect plan. Jesus Christ was at the centre of that plan. And he, in human form, was submitting himself to the Father's will. This was the only way to secure salvation. He must go with them to begin this path of suffering that would lead to life. And then finally we see here the disciples and one other young man desert Jesus. They scatter. What does it say there, verse 50? And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This had not been a great evening for the disciples, had it? You know, first they had learnt that one of them would betray them at the Passover feast. Then they had been caught sleeping on three occasions when they should have been praying. And now they choose to run at the time the Saviour most needs them. Peter, John, all of them fled, forsaking their master, leaving him to his fate. Jesus had told them in verse 27 that they would fall away in fulfilment of Zechariah's prophecy. It says there, Zechariah 3, 7, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The disciples who had listened to his teaching, teaching who had marveled at his miracles, who had enjoyed meals and fellowship with Jesus, desert him at his greatest hour of need. They had scattered, run for the hills, you know, and the next time we see them all together is after the resurrection. In a locked room, still fearful, afraid of the Jews. Yet what grace and mercy we see from the Saviour who appears among them. Turn to John chapter 20 
verses 19 to 23. It's amazing. Uh, this is the next time that the, that, that the disciples were together. It says there, John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. There they were, afraid again. For fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw that it was the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What I find amazing about these verses is there's no judgment. There's no anger. No quick questions about the way that he, they had deserted him. Simply peace be with you. How amazing is our Saviour that he still wants to send these fearful disciples out in the world to save them. Did you notice that? He doesn't give up on them. It says there, after he says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What grace! He's not only not angry with them, he is saying to them, I want to still send you. I still want to use you as my servants. That's incredible, isn't it? Isn't it amazing that despite our failures, our fears, our weaknesses, he still wants to use us. He sends us out into the far regions of this planet with the Great Commission ringing in our ears. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Even us in our weaknesses and our inability. You know, Hudson Taylor said God uses those who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. Yes, the disciples have forsaken the Saviour, but the Saviour would never forsake them. They would not desert Jesus again like they had on this night. They would go and eventually give their lives in service for their masters, for their master, always with the promise, Lo, I am with you always. And that promise is true for us today as well. For the, it's, it's true to us for us as we step out for him. You know, as he says to, to us, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He sends us out with his Holy Spirit. He sends us out with a promise, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The night of failure in the garden was now behind them. The disciples, in the strength of the Holy Spirit, were set to reach the world. I want us to just finally close with, with, with three questions that really uh, I, I think of take, I, I find are a challenge to me as I read as well. First question is this, are you who you profess to be? Are you who you profess to be? For up to three years, Judas had put on a show. He'd been an imposter. He pretended to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. When in reality, his love was not for Jesus, but for money and the devil. Where does your heart truly lie? Is it fixed upon Jesus or something else? Do you go through the motions of Christianity? Do you attend church? Do you uh, take part in the service, singing and do all of those things? 
Maybe you even go out and, and help with evangelism or even go and, and do things that are, that are called ministry. And yet in reality, your heart is not there. Do you know there's something missing in your life? Do you believe in the one who truly went all the way to the cross to die for you? If that is you, turn away from your idols. Turn away from your sin to the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Do not let your sin destroy you as it did Judas. The second question uh, that I have is, are we as Christians any different to these disciples? Do we make a stand uh, for Jesus or do we run away? Do our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues know that we are Christians? Do our fellow students at school or at university, do they know that we are saved? Have they heard the gospel message uh, from our lips or have we in our fear failed to open our mouths for Christ? Do we in faith stand with Jesus or in fear run away? The truth is we, we do not face persecution like so many in the persecuted church around the world. We don't face imprisonment. We don't face violence. We face ridicule. And yet we are fearful of just saying one word for Jesus Christ. Let's not shy away from sharing Jesus for the fear of ridicule. Thirdly and finally, will we, despite the failures of our past, be willing to step out with him and trust him for our future? You know, there's no greater thing than stepping out for Jesus, to say, saying to Jesus, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me, wherever you want me to go, I am willing, I will follow after you, just as these disciples had done all those years before. Will you step out for him? Will you heed to his command to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Are you willing, like Isaiah said, to say this, here am I, send me. Are you willing to trust God for your life, to take you wherever he might take you? Believe me, you'll have no regrets if you truly commit your life to God and say, wherever you want me to go, Lord. I will do it. The darkness of this passage was soon to end. I began by saying this would be a dark passage. But that darkness was to end. Jesus would achieve victory upon the cross. And there was a resurrection morning that was just on the horizon. And we can say, as we look back, Hallelujah. What a saviour. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that it is for, for us. We thank you, Lord, too, for all that you went through on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that you did step out, that you did go all the way to the cross. And Lord, that you paid the price for our sin. Lord, thank you. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And so, Lord, we would say with our own lies, Lord, use us as you would, you would choose. Lord, send us where you would have us go. Lord, use us for your glory 
In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.